Welcome to the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. If you find money to be the number one, two, or even third largest source of stress in your relationship, then you're in the right place. Going beyond how to budget, invest, and do your taxes, we're going to explore financial intimacy. Discover how to talk with your partner about your shared financial life. Let's take the awkward and painful out of money conversations. Join me and hit follow to listen to weekly inspiring, healing, and motivating interviews with financial therapists, couples therapists, and financial planners, and so many more. Let's go on the journey of financial intimacy together. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. Today, I have Michael Reynolds with me, and he's got an alphabet soup after his name, but that's not what's important. He's just genuinely a nice guy. I saw him recently speak at a conference, and he's a fellow financial therapist and financial planner, and so I wanted to invite Michael onto the show today to talk about his journey into financial therapy, how he's applying it in financial planning, and more importantly, so you as a listeners can continue to get more familiar and comfortable with the concept of financial therapy and financial planning. Michael, with that long-winded introduction, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ed. I appreciate it. I apologize for the alphabet soup. I, in the in our messaging or chat here, we've got the our names, and I put the alphabet soup after my name. And I, I always debate that because it's like, oh, it looks so pretentious. But we're talking about financial therapy, and the CFT is one of my designations, so I, I stuck it in there, and I thought we should actually have it out there. So, <laughs> so yes, I do. Among uh, other designations, I do have the uh, Certified Financial Therapist Level 1 designation, which I got recently. You know, look, as a guy that has alphabet soup after his name, and I imagine there's a number of listeners that probably have the alphabet soup thing. I think a lot of, I'm a lifelong learner, and I, you strike me as probably a lifelong yeah, learner. Same, same. And so you end up collecting these letters after your name that kind of represent different seasons of life, if you will. Yeah, I would agree. Um, so I'm curious, CFT, is that the most recent addition to the, to the professional bio? It's not. The CFP is actually my most recent um, I kind of put that off for a little while. I got the uh, CSRIC first, which is the Socially Responsible Investment Counselor designation. Then I got the AIF, which is the Accredited Investment Fiduciary. And then the CFT Level 1, and then went back and got the CFP. Holy smokes. And in what time frame did you do all of that? About two years total. Uh, maybe a little bit less. Yeah, I kind of uh, went nuts this last couple of years. <laughs> you the CSRIC went... was the one I wanted to start with because I really, one of my niches is socially responsible and ESG investing. That's kind of what uh... I really uh, focus on quite a bit. A lot of my clients uh, are interested in that. So that was the first one. And then I kind of got the ball rolling and kind of just knocked the rest out. Now, before you got into super money nerd study mode, you had a different professional identity. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I did. I'm a career changer. So uh, I owned a digital marketing agency for 23 years. Uh, I started the business in college with a friend of mine in our dorm room. It was just kind of a, a random fun little startup story. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah, great. It was our junior year and we were kind of getting used to using HTML to build websites when it first started to become a thing. And, you know, we got a few clients and taught ourselves how to build websites. And, you know, I kind of grew the company from there. And eventually my partner left to go get a real job while I kind of stuck with it. And <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it kind of grew from there. And uh, so for 23 years, built the firm, built lots of websites, uh, did digital marketing. And uh, along the way, kind of in the, the last few years of me owning the agency, I got really interested in personal finance, uh, really uh, interested in learning to manage money with intention, uh, being able to handle money better. I grew up in a household that did not handle money well. And so it was so intriguing to me to get better at it and to kind of 
change the trajectory of my experience with money. And so I got really interested in learning about just all money concepts in general. So I got my, you know, a couple investment licenses, got started part-time, and then realized I wanted to do this full-time for the rest of my life. And about the same time, I was uh, getting dissatisfied with the marketing world and you know, we were working with bigger and bigger clients and companies, and that came with more red tape and bureaucracy and boards and committees, and it wasn't as fun anymore. Right. I realized I want to work with directly with individuals and families to make a difference in their lives and see the impact tangibly and um, just in a, in a more direct way. And so I sold my agency in 2018, uh, launched my RIA uh, three months later, and here we are. Wow, that's a powerful story. And what I, I, I'm connecting with as I talk to more and more financial planners about their backstory is their family history with money is usually not so hot. And what's not so hot about it can cover the landscape of issues. So while protecting your family's privacy, is there a story that could give us a flavor of what was maybe problematic with the family finances? Yeah, sure. So I grew up with a single mother. Um, father passed away when I was very young. So uh, my only memories growing up is with my mother. And, you know, she worked hard. She's loving. She, you know, loved me more than anything in the world. There was no shortage of love in the household. Okay, <laughs> but, great, um, great. Yeah, but, uh, you know, just not, and she'd be the first to admit, um, you know, just not great at uh, understanding money, um, handling money, making money, um, just wasn't something that uh, clicked very well with her ability to kind of uh, kind of go through life. And so, now there were not everything was bad. I mean, there were definitely some money conversations about you know saving and giving and things like that. But um, never really learned um, concepts you know through budgeting or concepts about investing. Um, none of that was was part of my background. And you know, we always grew up not really having a lot. Uh, we had enough. Um, I had a, a good childhood with enough. But, you know, I also had the family members that I would talk to and I would say things like, hey, you know, how much money do you make? And my uncle would say, not enough. And he would joke about it. No one would ever tell me how much they made. <laughs> and so I, I grew up just thinking money is stressful and money is taboo to talk about. And so that was kind of the, the script I developed and the, the money trauma that um, kind of developed in my head is you don't talk about money. It's bad. And money is stressful and it's just, you know, money, dealing with money is always going to be stressful and anxiety uh, producing. And so that was the, the script I grew up with. Uh, so that's what you, and that, I'm sure we both know this at this point, that's a pretty common theme for a lot of folks, mm -hmm. right? I see that a lot. Yeah. Like, you're not, if, you, if you're listening to this and you're hearing this, you're like, wow, oh, I'm not the only one. And there's something kind of relieving about that, right? But it also raises that question of like, well, now that I know this about myself, what do I do with it? Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious, what, it, it, was there a triggering event in your digital marketing agency that said, man, I really need to get on this mastering money thing? Or was it kind of a progressive like realization? Like how, what was that money journey like for you? I think it was more progressive for me. Um, you know, owning a business is tough. Uh, uh -huh. No matter what business you're in, it's always hard. You've got to worry about cash flow. And I had like, you know, 10-ish employees, give or take, in, in any given year. So I had a little team of people to do payroll for, uh -huh. you know, clients to satisfy, my own income I wanted to make. Um, and it's always a tug of war. A tug of war is always between, you know, paying people fairly and appropriately while saving money and generating profit in the business. And that tug of war is always just this, you know, anxiety-producing thing to deal with every single day. And so... Um, that 
contributed to my belief at the time that money was just, you know, full of anxiety and dealing with money was just super stressful. So I think it was progressive because I kind of got tired of it. I kind of said, you know what, like there's got to be, uh, there's got to be a better way, you know, <laughs> there's got to be another <laughs> way to, right. to, to handle money and to approach this differently. And so, um, along the way, I, um, I, first of all, I, you know, my, at the time it was important to me. I, I read the Dave Ramsey book, total money makeover. Uh-huh. Um, today yeah. I don't align myself with Dave Ramsey for various reasons that you may or may not want to get into, but <laughs> at the time yeah. the book total money makeover was kind of, uh, instrumental in getting me started on the journey. Let's actually unpack that for a minute because love him or hate him. He is a large figure in the personal finance space. Agreed. Right. And I know he is like when I look back on where did I start with personal finance, he's one of those names that stands out probably larger than just about anybody. Maybe Susie Orman's up there. David Bach kind of comes in, and uh, you know a distant third. But he like those are the top top three. And then you know of course I read books by Warren Buffett at the beginning too. Dave Ramsey though is a starting point for a lot of folks, mm-hmm. and then but he's not the ending point for a lot of folks, and that doesn't get talked about openly nearly as much. I think. Yeah, I would agree. Um, he's helped a lot of people, uh, quite honestly, and credit where credit is due. And um, myself included, my you know my wife and I, uh, when we got married, there was a lot of debt in the household from uh, you know various you know student loans, and it took us a long time to pay off that debt. Uh-huh. And through Dave Ramsey's book and the encouraging principles in there, and just the the simple system he outlined, really you know was instrumental in us getting out of debt and getting a head start. So. Um, yeah, credit where credit is due for sure. Yeah. And, it, you know, I think we can both with respect to, to who he, he is and people's experience with him is he's a catalyst for a lot of people mm-hmm. and some people stay there and some people go on and, and either way, right? Like I'm not here yeah. to, to beat anybody up. If, if you love Dave Ramsey and he works for you, great. There are others that say there's probably more complexity and nuance that should go into thinking about your personal finances. And that's where you get when you get a CFP is well, things are more complicated. And I think a lot of people, that's the other side, right? Is kind of, and maybe I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth here a little bit. So forgive me is I think that for me, at least I'll speak in my own experience. Dave Ramsey left me with some rigidity around personal finance also, right? Like, yeah, his, his tone is very absolute, very black and white. Do this, don't do that. And in effect, you're stupid if you're doing fill in the blank, A, B, C, or D. And, you know, as a financial therapist now and as a therapist, I'm like, oh, cringe. Oh, that's not good. Well, the difference is he's a radio show host first and foremost. So, ah, right, right. Because he's a radio host, his whole brand is being absolute and controversial and yelling at people. And that, that helps his brand. And that really helps him differentiate himself and stand out, which I applaud him for the community he's built around that. Now, you're right. If you're working one-on-one personally with people, his brand doesn't translate because you can't yell at people. In a, I mean, you can, but you shouldn't <laughs> yell right, at people right, in a financial right. planning session. You can't be that rigid. There's so much nuance and gray area and um, emotions around money that need to be handled carefully. And so it's just two different contexts. Well, and I do think, like, you know, for me, that yelling at, and I'm glad we're kind of talking about this, right, is yelling at someone is a form of emotional abuse from my, from my lens, at least. And yeah. And for many people, that's recreating trauma and likely even trauma around money where there was yelling and argumentation around money. And it's part of what creates that fear about approaching our finances. 
And so this is maybe, I, I guess, God, I'm even getting more clear in talking with you, Michael. This is why I want to have you on the show and, and to talk with other folks to say, there are money people out there that will will show up with empathy, care, curiosity, and um, nuance to your financial life and make it safe for you to really approach your finances so that you don't have to feel and deal with the overwhelming anxiety and shame that may be there with your finances. And that's what I love about the direction our profession is going. Um, uh, or, you know, the kind of the traditional old fashioned view of our profession was, you know, the, the stuffy financial advisor in a suit and a, you know, office full of big leather furniture and they'd peer over their glasses at you and speak <laughs> jargon and make you feel dumb. And, you know, if you were doing something wrong, they would yell at you for it. And like, you know, that whole arrogance mindset is, is what we, so many people view uh, financial advisors in that uh, context. But now we're seeing such a, um, I think, a, a flourishing community of financial advisors in this generation, not age generation, but this generation from a profession standpoint right. that are approaching this profession with empathy and honestly with love and with uh, caring and a supportive nature where it's okay to create a safe space for your clients to come talk about their money traumas and not have all the answers all the time and be able to work through challenges in an empathetic and nurturing way that helps people get to a, a better spot than if somebody were you know, yelling at them or making, talking down to them or making them feel dumb. Wow. That, uh, that's huge. And I love, you know, it's, it's great to hear that. And I mean, that's part of what's rewarding about doing this podcast is I get to meet folks like yourself and have these deeper conversations about where is the industry going? And, and it, you use the word love. I love that. Like that, you don't hear that too much in financial planning, do you? <laughs> you don't hear that so much, but I really, you know, I think even yesterday I was driving home and I was thinking about how, on one hand, professionally, it's un, un, inappropriate to say I love my clients. Like, like there's almost this, like, you're getting too close to them kind of thing. But the reality is, like, I sincerely love my couples counseling clients. Like, those are the clients I've been seeing. Right, and I'm in my own transition, working towards setting up my own planning practice. But like when we come from a place of loving our clients in a professionally healthy way, obviously, how does that change the relationship of working with clients? So it's got pros and cons, um, uh -huh. mainly pros. Um, yeah. Obviously I, I genuinely can say that I do, you know, love all of my clients. I, I want the best for them. I care about their success. Um, I love seeing their wins. I love celebrating their wins. Um, you know, I, I'm constantly thinking about how can, how can I help so-and-so or how can I help this family or, oh, that was a challenge we talked through last time and I want to kind of come back with something that could be useful. And I'm, I'm always thinking about that. So having love for the people you work with, um, I think is really important. I mean, if you don't at least enjoy working with your clients, I mean, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> you do something else, right? But, um, it can also, you have to be careful too, because, one thing I'm working on for myself is setting the right boundaries and making sure that I don't care about their success more than they do. Yeah. And that's something that if you, you know, as all of us, or many of us at least are, are prone to do who have this amount of caring for our clients, we can sometimes get too invested and right. it can be a little bit too consuming because, you know, if your client is, you know, you're working with somebody and you make a recommendation and you know, it will help them. And for whatever reason, they don't follow through or they don't take the action. You know, we have to be able to have that boundary and let go and say, it's up to them. You know, it's not up to me to control that outcome. Yeah, I think that that's, that is the kind of the shadow side, if you will, of loving your clients is that 
feeling so committed and connected to their outcome. And then when it's not making the progress you expect it, there can be natural disappointment as the advisor or therapist and holding those boundaries. And, you know, I was thinking about like, Oh, well this is right. Probably why there's that um, objectivity. Like, well, if I don't love my clients then I'm more perfectly objective and it's Mm -hmm. like, no, I don't really think you're more objective by not like having feelings for your clients. Like that's, Probably you probably miss more than you than you create. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to the Healthy Love and Money podcast. I'm honored that you spend time with me listening to these incredible interviews. I love working with individuals and couples around their financial life, integrating mental health and relational well-being. I'd love to personally invite you into my financial planning practice where I do therapy-informed financial planning bringing together mental health, relationship health, and financial well-being. If you're thinking that's the type of help you'd like, please see the show notes below to schedule your free 30-minute discovery call. And I'll look forward to seeing you and hearing more about your unique story and how I can best support you. Now, back to the show. All right, so kind of coming back around. So Dave Ramsey was an early figure on that financial transformation. And then, you know, incrementally, you've added new folks into your mind and what i'd really like to highlight is financial therapy what was that educational journey like for you what are some of the big nuggets that you took out of that program and how do you see that helping you with the financial planning process now yeah so i really enjoyed it i don't do standalone financial therapy i know there are some professionals who all they do is basically financial therapy sessions much like a traditional mental health counselor so right. um, i tend to integrate it um, i prefer to to stay very focused on hey i'm a financial planner first and foremost right but financial therapy principles are pretty consistently integrated into the work i do um, in different ways and so some of the big takeaways from the program that I went through with the the CFT level one was it kind of unlocked a lot of permission in myself um, to be able to, um, to kind of go there, so to speak in certain areas. Like, you know, a lot of times you're, you know, if you talk to their financial advisors or people in professional communities, it's like, Oh no, don't, you know, be neutral. Don't get into, you know, um, emotional areas or politics or religion with your clients and just kind of be very objective and, and very kind of, you know, cold and, and kind of distant. Yeah. Uh, maybe not cold and distant, but like, you know, kind of objective. And, and so we're, a lot of times we're kind of taught that, um, you know, it's not your, not your role to do that. You don't go there. Just talk about the money and the spreadsheets and give them the numbers and they can do what they want, you know? (laughs) And that never really sat well with me because it's like, well, you know, does that really help them? If you just hand over a spreadsheet and say, do this and walk away, like how helpful is that? You know, sometimes people need more support. Right. And so going through a financial therapy curriculum really helped me have permission to say, it's okay. Like we we're not, you know, therapists, but it's okay to have a little bit of crossover with mental health, a little bit of crossover and take a little bit of, you know, some nuggets and integrate that into what we do because money and mental health are so tightly intertwined in so many people. And I think we'd be doing clients a disservice by ignoring all of that. You know, so one example is uh, helping, I do a lot of work helping couples with budgeting. Uh Um, A lot of times couples will start the financial planning process and, you know, they're married, maybe they're uh, not married, but they're committed for, you know, a life uh, relationship and they, they keep all their finances separate, which is okay, by the way. Sure. But they have a desire to be more integrated financially. And we kind of talk through, you know, the pros and cons of that, the emotional impact of that. And, 
one thing I love to do is to help them. Now I kind of prompt a conversation they can have with each other while I'm kind of in the room, the Zoom room, virtually. Right, <laughs> right. Everything pretty, pretty much virtually, and you know, help them facilitate a conversation between themselves to arrive at the best type of money integration systems for them, and realize that on a spectrum, there's no right or wrong, and it's okay. Because uh, some people approach it thinking, oh, well, there's only one way to do this, and you know, they they feel very <laughs> rigid in what people have told them, and so helping people do that, and then budget their money together. Uh, not just logistically, but emotionally, understanding, hey, here's why you can, you know, here, here's some different options you have for different ways to categorize and, and manage money and your cash flow and how that relates to how you feel about it and the emotional impact that makes. And so that's really exciting to be able to just have the permission to talk about fluffy stuff like that, <laughs> not just spreadsheets. So that's a long-winded way of saying that, I guess. I should just start with that. <laughs> No, but I think it's it's worth going through that journey. And I think there's a couple of things I heard that I really appreciate is your approach, similar to mine, is there's not one right way to do money together as a couple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and absolutely. It's It sounds like what you're saying is it's more about helping to create a space for the couple to get clear about why are they doing money the way they are doing it, right? Like, mm-hmm. let's look at the different emotions and meanings associated with why you're orga- you have money organized the way that you do. Yeah, and helping them align their system with their desires. You know, they might they might have a desire to be more emotionally integrated when it comes to money, but logistically it's all separate, or vice versa. Maybe they want more independence and separation, but things are too combined. And so being able to align where they feel comfortable from an emotional standpoint with the logistical money systems behind it, getting those in alignment is really key. You know, I don't think I've ever, I haven't been able to quite language it in the way that you have. And that's part of the fun of having these conversations is like these, these ideas run through my head all the time and I'm thinking about how to, to frame them. And if I heard you right, Michael, part of what you're walking them through is getting emotional alignment with system alignment, meaning this yeah. is how money actually flows in and out of our house and the different accounts and who's paying what. That's yeah, the, exactly. the financial system side. But then the emotional side is, how I feel about that process. So do I feel safe, secure, like there's honesty and transparency, or do I feel constricted, scared, rejected, not considered, shameful, you know, any number of those different things can show up, right? Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I'm imagining, and this is, you know, that balance, right, is, uh, I don't know how far you go on that therapeutic journey, but if they're expressing that, it creates difficult emotions for them. What do you do then? How do you how do you help them get to that place where maybe they're feeling more comfortable emotions around the way their financial system is structured? Yeah, so I always start with where they are, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. Kind of create a, uh, it sounds kind of corny, but create a safe space. You know, nope, nope. I, I believe in safe spaces. I think so much of the time, the, the, the most important thing you can do is just make it okay to talk about money. Uh, because... Again, like me growing up, you know, money was taboo. We don't talk about it. It's stressful. It's Uh it's hush-hush. Like, nobody tells you how much they make. And it's like, so getting people comfortable just saying, like, you know what? Like, whatever you say about money is okay in this session. Like, we're going to talk about it. And, you know, this is is a a judgment-free zone. You know, if you feel a certain way about money, if you feel stressed about money because your partner's doing X or because you're doing X or Y, um, let's talk about that. And let's figure out... um, what's going on there. And then sometimes it ties back to, to money trauma, um, maybe financial abuse in the past, maybe 
you know, not abuse, but maybe just growing up with a household that was money illiterate or caused lots of anxiety around money, just being able to unpack why you're feeling the way you are. And then, you know, possibly understanding what your money scripts are. Are you, you know, are you money vigilant? Are you, um, you know, are you money worship script? Like what, what sort of script is driving these decisions? Yeah. And just understanding why these things are happening is often enough for people just to say, oh, okay, I'm not broken. I just have this thing that happened in my past that is causing me to spend you know, more money than I want to in this area or to feel this way about money and it's inhibiting my progress in this area or it's causing conflict with my partner because you know, I, I feel this way about money and it's causing this, this conflict between us. So that kind of stuff is, is really fun to unpack for me. I am, uh, you know, I always try to practice my practice my good active listening when guests are on, but I got to be honest, I got hung up on a really good thing. You said, I'm not broken a few minutes, ago, like as you were starting to share this, mm. right? Because that that is actually something people carry with them around their money is that somehow they're broken or bad. Or I'm bad with money. Yeah. I'm, I'm bad with, they talk about a script, Yeah, right? I'm bad with money. And so when you start to have the conversations with your clients, you help them start to see that, well, these are actually just, these are stories you learned somewhere along the way. Mm-hmm. And the nice thing about stories, at least from my perspective, I'm curious about yours, even as a marketer, like I'm going to ask to tie some questions with marketing back to this because I imagine there's a link. As humans, we tell all kinds of stories and we retell stories and we can retell the, the meaning of stories to get them to work more effectively for us, right? And that's, I think, kind of what financial therapy is doing. And so the question I want to ask you is, right, as a marketer, what sells? What sells? Yeah, like how do you how do you sell? Like how much role does story play in selling for marketing? Maybe that's the question I think I'm trying to get to. Gotcha. So when you say selling, do you mean selling in terms of um, uh, working with more clients, like attracting more clients to me, or when I'm working with clients, what sells the idea to them? Maybe both. Okay. Sorry for not being clear in my question. Oh no, I just want to make sure I understood the the line of thought there. Yeah. So. I would say from the, the first standpoint of attracting clients to find me and work with me, you know, often, uh, you know, what sells is the, the feelings. We, we buy based on emotions. Uh, we make decisions based on emotions. As much as I can say, oh, well, you know, I save my clients X thousands of dollars through investing in taxes and blah, 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 and all this stuff. That's boring. No one cares about that. Right. What they care about is when I say, hey, I, you know, when I work with my clients over the long term, you know, they send me feedback like, wow, we suddenly, we feel better about our money. We have much lower anxiety. We have a direction to go. Um, I've had people tell me, couples tell me, hey, you, you saved our marriage or saved our relationship. Right. Um, which again, I don't, I don't want to take credit for that, but I want to say that I'm really honored to be able to play a role in the support that they got to be able to improve their relationship because money is such a it impacts so many relationships negatively. You know, so many relationships struggle and have conflict and have problems because of money and how they relate to money. And so, you know, that when I tell those stories, that that really makes the impact. It's the emotional thing of, oh wow, I want that too. Like, yeah, we are arguing about money. Like, I want to get better. I want to, I want to fix this. So, and then we're working with clients individually. I mean, kind of a, a similar thing. Just being able to help them paint a picture of what their life could look like. 
you know, we feel like we don't have enough money right now. We don't know where our money's going. We feel like we're spending too much. We're not saving for the future. You know, we don't communicate about money very well. All these things come up. And often I keep it simple. It's reassurance. It's, Hey, you know what? Like, we're going to talk about this and you're going to be okay. We're going to talk about this. And, you know, I'm going to give you some tools to communicate about money better. And we're going to unpack some of the reasons behind some of these decisions. And as long as you're willing to, you know, participate, like, you know, you're going to get to a place where we can, we can lower that anxiety. Um, you're likely to communicate better and you'll start feeling a lot better about money. And, you know, I don't guarantee anything, obviously, but just saying those right. things to reassure people, like you can get to a place where you don't have your stomach in knots because you're running out of money every month or you don't know where it's going. Like we can get, <laughs> we can, we can help that, you know? <laughs> uh, I really appreciate that right? your language is so vivid and so clear. And I think it really helps resonate with that. Your stomach is in knots is like the last thing you heard. But I appreciate the confidence that the financial planning process brings clarity to couples' financial life in a way that they they don't know how to do on their own, no fault of their own. Like no one's taught them how to bring financial clarity into their life. Mm-hmm. And so as a financial planner, you also are deeply invested in a positive outcome for them and not at all. Right. Like it, it's kind of both sides. Like, yeah, you're going to go on living your life no matter what ultimately happens. So, but you know, I, Michael, I've been thinking about financial planning as a form of financial therapy. It can be therapeutic to go through the financial planning process. And I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah. I, I think I agree with that. I think whether you've, done any kind of formal training in financial therapy or not, most financial planners that I network with and talk to and know, like they're doing at least to some extent, some kind of work like this. I, and we always, you know, there's lots of online communities I'm in with other, you know, financial planners and we talk about stuff. And very often people will say like, you know, Hey, like, you know, what, what I did was basically, you know, some therapy with this client to help them kind of think through how to handle money or how to overcome this challenge. And, you know, we got to be careful and not cross the line because we're not therapists, but you know, there's nothing wrong with embracing the concept of just sitting with clients in the space they're in and being a support resource for them um, as you work through the spreadsheets and the numbers and the financial plans and the forecasts. And sometimes you reach a point where clients will be disappointed. They'll say, wow, I didn't realize that I've got to work three extra years because of the way we're on this current trajectory. Right. Um, that feels kind of bad. Like I'm kind of concerned about that. And you know, being willing to say, yeah, I can see how that would be concerning. Um, mm. Let's let's sit with that. Let's talk about that, you know. So lots of ways we can be better than our um, our stereotype, you know. <laughs> yes, yes. Lots of ways to be better than our stereotype. And I do think, you know, like, and this is me pushing the envelope some, but I was just talking with a, a colleague of mine actually about how th- the field of therapy, counseling skills, right, has been absorbed into other professional disciplines. And so like financial planning, I think is kind of catch is the next profession. It's, it's like, Hey, there's something really to at least even the core active listening skills and empathic resonance, right? Like you don't have to get into diagnosing complex mental health issues and trying to resolve deep trauma. Um, but financial planners are uniquely equipped to what I would call do reality testing, right? Which is a therapeutic skill, right? Is as humans, we think we're living in reality, but sometimes it can get kind of a little warped, right? In different directions. And those that are are a little more aware can realize or accept that like, you know, sometimes I can really 
twist the truth. And I'm not trying to. My brain just kind of spins the story this way. And the reality, some reality is actually over here. And I need help finding that. And I think what's beautiful about financial planning is it, it gathers someone's financial life all into one place. And then we can actually objectively see what's there and contrast it with what your subjective experience is. Like, I feel so poor. Well, Mr. and Ms. Smith, you have $2 million in your 401k. Help me understand that difference between I feel poor and I have $2 million. Let's talk about it. You hit that. on something that's really important and, and kind of my favorite part of the planning process is the organization part. Um, and one simple symptom of, of kind of the, the thing you talked about just now was, you know, ask people how much money they spend each month. No one knows. No one ever knows. <laughs> or if they give you a number, it's like wrong, you know, 30% lower than it really is or 50% lower than it really is. Like uh-huh. no one knows. We always undershoot it. So right. that's a symptom of not really having a clear picture of your finances. And so some of the most valuable work that, you know, we do is, hey, let's start the planning process. Great. Let's get all of your financial information load it into one place. I use planning software like a lot of advisors do. Uh-huh. And, you know, for the first time ever, you know, those I'm working with will look at it and say, wow, okay, we've never actually seen all our money in one place before. We we see all our accounts, we see our net worth, we see our cash flow, we see all of it. Cash flow is wrong, by the way. We'll get that right later. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> but it's a starting point. Just that starting point of seeing a, a clear picture of your money is enough to kind of prompt people into a state of mind where they're willing to work on it and they feel excited to work on it again. Uh, mm. Because money avoidance is such a common script out there. The avoidance is is very prevalent. First of all, there's a lot of you know yeah. stuff in our past that leads to that. But right. you know, our default path of least resistance is just to not think about money. You know, eh, we pay bills and credit cards kind of pile up and we'll pay those. And I don't really know how much money's coming in or out. And it it's you know, the more I think about it, the more I get that pit in my stomach and that knot in my stomach that makes me feel bad. So I'm not going to do that. So I don't feel bad. Right. right? <laughs> so the more I look away from it, right. And this yeah. that downward spiral that people get yeah. stuck into. Exactly. So we're like, here's a picture of where your money is. Okay, great. The reality is now there. Right. Now we can move forward. Now we can talk about it in a way that is safe and non-judgmental and, and with support and help. You know, I really love this. I, uh, I probably know six months ago, a year ago, I came across the, the field of intuitive eating and intuitive eating grew out of treating eating disorders, right? And part of that whole field is like a lot of ways that people think about getting healthy is they, they really restrict what they can eat and they create all these rules about like, I can only eat this and I can only eat it here and I can only do it then. And it's, it becomes more and more constricting, like a straight jacket. Right. And I think like that's rigidity around food. And the other side is like, I don't know how much I eat and I eat whatever I want. I eat whenever I want. And like, and look at me like, oh, oh my gosh. Right. And I, I feel like our financial life kind of ends up on those two ends of the continuum. Like we're, we have so many rules about how we can spend money and where we can spend it and how we can spend it. And it's just so tight. Like you can't wiggle or it's just so free form that you really have no idea where it's going. And it's just kind of chaos. And so what you're describing, I think, is that middle zone of awareness without obsession. That's a really good analogy. Yeah, the eating analogy is a really good one. Because you're right. I mean, we're so many people think, oh, if I talk to a financial planner, they're going to tell me to stop spending money and my life will be miserable. Like, that's the mindset, right? <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's a stereotype. That's right? a, and it's not completely undeserved. 
Right. And, and, I agree. And this is where we, I will, I will go back and just poke at Dave Ramsey a little bit is he's created that impression in millions of people's minds about this is what it means to face your finances. Okay. Let's, I will say it here and I will get backlash and I'm okay with that. Dave Ramsey actually exacerbated my own money disorders. I believe it. Tell me more. Because he led me to believe that rigidity around my finances and having to basically live like no one else so that you can live like no one else was like strip out all the fun and pleasure in your life, pay down everything as fast as you possibly can, and then you'll be happy. I did it. I went into that mode. But then when I met my wife, that and that's really what you know kind of unsettles some of this. She was not game for living that way. She wanted to enjoy life incrementally along the way. Mm -hmm. And so that mindset really, you know, played on underlying financial anxieties for me already. So I don't think Dave Ramsey started it for me in any way. I think it was, it only exacerbated or accelerated my own psychological propensity towards rigidity and needing great financial security. And so there's that, I think, Part of my own healing with money is getting comfortable being able to look at my money, be comfortable with a more balanced approach to accumulating wealth over time and not feeling like I have to get there by the time I'm 30, which I didn't, or by the time I'm 40, which I didn't. I mean, and we're, my wife and I, let, let me be honest, we're on a good path. We're doing well. But I still have those thoughts up in my mind. Like, well, if we would have done it the Dave Ramsey way, we'd be completely free right now and oh, but what would you have missed? What experiences would you have missed over the last 20 years yeah. in doing I, that? I can see that. Yeah, it's a, it's a great background to share, and I, I can see how that would be the case. Yeah. So you were at the XY conference. Did you see Dr. Newcomb uh, present? No, I did not. Okay. Listeners of the podcast will hear me. I'm asking multiple people that are at XY, did you see this? Because I, she did a... A whole talk on the balance between like misers and spendthrifts, right? Okay. Like in misers are the money worship, money script, and they like they're so focused on just accumulating money. Yeah. Right. And the spendthrifts are just kind of free form doing whatever, and they have high well being. And she's like, what we really want to be doing as financial planners, and I think is what you've been describing, is we want to help them find the middle place of that where they, they're accumulating wealth and they have well-being and positive experience. And you get too heavy on one or the other side of that, and life gets out of whack. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, I like to say integration because I feel like sometimes if you say the middle, it's like you kind of, well, you've compromised or watered down. Uh, like, I don't want to imply that. Like yes. I like the integration, Ooh. being able to take the strengths of of extremes or spectrum or ends of the spectrum. Uh-huh. Uh, Cause you know, I mean the, the misers, they, they have something going for them. They save a lot of money, right? Right. <laughs> That's right, practical. Right. Spendthrifts have something going for them. They enjoy life, right? Maybe a lot, maybe more. Right. And so if you can somehow integrate the ability to enjoy life while saving and um, planning and managing money, the way that you choose is going to support that life you want, that's integration. Ah, uh, I like that. And I think the language does matter and it, sh- it shapes approachability and integration feels, does feel really nice. I like that. Well, Michael, I've, I appreciate you letting me take us kind of all over the map on talking about money and our relationship yeah, with fun. it. And um, 
it's very clear to me your passion for working with your clients is is so high. And I can imagine the clients that work with you really enjoy working with you. So if someone's listening and saying, you know, I really like Michael. I think I want to be in his planning process. How do people find you? Yeah, I appreciate that. My website's the best way, which is elevationfinancial.com. And I'm all my social links are there. You can email me through. You can book a meeting online to do a complimentary money session, ask questions. So uh, elevationfinancial.com. Wonderful. So we'll have that in the show notes as well. Uh, Michael, I'm so glad that you're a part of the financial therapy community. I'm glad to be connecting more into the financial planning and XY planning network community. I know we're going to be crossing paths and having more conversations. Thanks so much for your time today. Thanks, Ed. It was a pleasure. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. I invite you now to stop for five or 10 minutes and reflect on what you just heard. Maybe even journal about it. Give yourself the time to consider what you just heard and what it means to you. By giving yourself the time to reflect and integrate what you just heard, it will help you along your journey of learning, healing, and growing towards financial intimacy in your life. Please like and follow this podcast and share with someone that would benefit from being on the journey of financial intimacy. Wishing you healthy love and money at... Ed.